Hello and welcome to the podcast, The Road to Restoration. I'm Pastor Sergio Delamora, and I believe whether you are on the road to restoration, you've fallen off the road, or maybe you're just weary of being on the road, today's podcast is going to encourage you. Today, I had the privilege to sit down with Pastor Dave Minton from Capital Christian Center in Olympia, Washington. I've known Pastor Dave for 25 years, and I believe he's one of the key voices in my life who've helped me understand the different seasons of leadership. And today, what you're going to hear, I believe is going to change your life. Today, Pastor Dave and I talked about the difference between leaders who are nurtured into the position of leadership or those who are naturally born leaders. Get ready. Get ready to be inspired. So let's go to the podcast, and I look forward to talking to you after. Pastor Dave, thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's great. It's an honor to be here. Um, I've known Pastor Dave for at least 25 years. So Pastor Dave came into my life right when I started the church. The first year in, I asked him to come to a leadership meeting. And um, that was a, a good meeting. <laughs> it was a growth meeting. How you remember the same conversation yet? Yeah. And um, it was a challenging meeting because he really challenged me. And what I l- was so impacted by is that even though our church had maybe 100 people, he still came from Washington, uh, Olympia, Washington, to come speak. And he said this to me, and I still have this written down. I still have my notes from our meeting. He said, you have to learn to lead, manage, and reproduce. He said, you have to learn to lead, manage, and reproduce. And he promised that he would be a friend to my destiny. And 25 years later, through the highs and the lows and the highs, here he is, Pastor Dave Minton, Capital Christian Center, Olympia, Washington. Follow him online. Pastor Dave, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. It has been, it has been quite a journey, huh? Yes, it has. You know, I, I remember out of that conversation about us that day, um, I, had drove in, I had driven down from L.A., to be a part of your leadership meeting. And we had a conversation and you know, I just shared with you some honest feedback. And the way you received that feedback really impressed me, Sergio. You know, and, and I think that was the foundation for our kind of bond, that we had a very honest relationship where we could, the scripture says iron sharpens iron. And so, uh, so, so I, I remember those days fondly because you were a young leader and uh, you just embraced some of the things that I was sharing with you and to see what God has done in your life has been pretty phenomenal. Well, thank you. And I'm excited that we're still journeying together. That's what, that's, that's what committed friendships are for, huh? That's right. And today I want to ask, because there's a couple of things that I want to address that I think all of us can grow from. But one particular is because I think the life of the church the life of our businesses, the life of our family is always going to be linked to our ability to be led and to lead. You've been leading faithfully Capital Christian Center how many years? 35. 35 years. You have watched the church trends come and go and go and come. 
but there's some constants and that is leadership development. And so I want to ask if you'll share with us, what are some of the key guiding principles that you look to when you're raising a leadership team? Uh, Some people are watching, they're starting new churches. They have growing churches, growing organizations, but whether you're growing a church or growing a a business, the principles are the same. What are some key things that you look for in growing leaders? Thanks, Sergio. You know, as we're sitting here, you know, you guys are here and some people watching online, um, just getting to know you a little bit, you know, but when you talk about, when you talk about leadership, um, I've been pastoring my church for 35 years. I'm still full of faith. I'm still full of vision. We're still doing a lot of great things. Still very excited. Um, Over the years, when it comes to leadership, you can have strategies, methods, processes, plans, money, buildings, denominational support. At the end of the day, it's the heart of the leader. The leader has to have something that handles adversity well. It has to, you, the heart of the leader is something we have to cultivate. Um, that what's in me as a leader, or in us as a leader, has to be greater than everything we deal with. Because you will face every kind of giant challenge battle that you can imagine, and what's in you will be tested and that's been one of the biggest things I think I've learned, Sergio, is that, and, what, and when I interview leaders and I study leaders, it's their ability to handle adversity. In scripture, you know, you know, cause you got emerging leaders. Some of you might be in leadership, emerging leaders. When you're emerging with the vision, the idea, hope is really, really high. Hope is way up here. But when it's in dream phase, Adversity's way down here. There's no adversity. But when adversity starts going up, complexity starts coming in, problems start taking, all of a sudden what happens to the hope is hope starts going down. Hope, hope, or I'll say it like this, hope and hopelessness can't occupy the same space. But in scripture, you will see leaders, when the adversity was high, their hope would actually go up. So when David sees Goliath, everybody else is hopeless. David's hope as a leader came up. When the spies went out and checked out the promised land, 10 of them lost hope because of the giants. Two of them said, we are well able. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they faced the fire, they said, our God is able, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. And you see that all throughout scripture that great leaders, when adversity was the highest, their hope didn't go down. Their hope actually went up in adversity. And I would say that's one of the greatest things. And I don't know how to teach that. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, is that something that a person naturally has? Or is that something that is nurtured into a person? Is it, is it nature or nurture? Is it by nature? Are they like that? Or is that has... Been, has that been nurtured into them? I, I think it's a great question, Sergio. And I think it's actually a combination of both. I think a lot of people are nurtured by all the education, all the content, all the resources. There's enormous amounts of resource available. 
You know, uh, we don't have a knowledge problem, we have an application problem. So there's an abundance of nurturing. But I've found that if you're not nurtured by the Spirit of God, at the very core, when everything is stripped away, when everything in a leader's life is stripped away, when you experience betrayal, and when you've experienced the giants, and when you wonder where God is at, when there's nothing else left, there has to be that relationship with God. Because if you doubt that relationship with God, then it all becomes a house of cards. Because the minute I let go of my faith, the minute I, I make shipwreck of my life when I lose my faith, and your faith will be tested as a leader over and over again. And so the, the nurture part of that, or the nature part of that, I think is a personal relationship born in the fires that God is with me. I have interviewed so many overcomers to my leadership classes, and some of the most amazing people that I've seen as overcomer have gone through the most horrific stuff that you could ever imagine. The abuses, the traumas, the dramas that they've faced in their life. And one of the things I've found common in all overcomers is somehow they developed a belief system that God was with them. Somehow they had a belief system. It wasn't about how good I was. It was about how good God was. And no matter how bad things were, they just felt like God was there for them. And that's, and that's the nature nurture. I'll give you an example out of scripture. In Exodus chapter six, God tells Moses, Moses is trying to lead the people. He's discouraged because they, they're all struggling now. Pharaoh's making them work harder. He's beating them. And, and they said to Moses, ever since you've come, everything's gotten worse. So remember, he comes with a vision. Everybody's like, yay. They go tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't go yay. Pharaoh goes no. And he creates adversity. Then they say to Moses, why did you even come? Moses goes back to God. And in Exodus chapter 6, God says, go back and tell them. And he gives seven I wills. I will be your God. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will take you out. I, I, I will take you into the promised land. He says seven times, I will. But the scripture says that they could not hear what Moses had said because of the anguish of bondage or the anguish of spirit because of their abuse. What did that mean? The word anguish there in the Hebrew little means the smallness of their soul because they had gone through so much abuse and trauma in their life, God couldn't get through. Three of the I wills, I'll get you out. Two of the I wills, well, I'll bond with you. And the last two I wills, I'll get you into the promised land. So the first three I wills, God got them out. The second two I wills, they never bonded with God. And because they never bonded with God, they never got into their promised land. Do you think we allow people in leadership too often without having an authentic bond with God? Do you think that's one of the problems and one of the reasons why we can't scale as leaders, we can't uh, receive more, we don't have more capacity as leaders? That's a great question. I, I would rephrase it this way. I just think people need to be taught how to handle adversity better. In other words, the trauma that the children of Israel went through was horrific. Their children are being thrown into the river. Their abuse is genuine. They're in slavery. It was horrible. It was horrible what they went through. But you cannot let your trauma define you. 
you have to let the grace of God define you. You can't let your history or your past or your betrayals, you cannot let the, the painful stuff of this life define me. I have to let the grace of God. So in our minds, we create these narratives. So my narrative can be, I was betrayed, they let me down, they turned my back on me, or that happened, but God did this, and that happened, but God did this. And so the narratives of my mind must be from grace to grace to grace, not betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. And if I can teach a leader to do that, now I'm teaching them how to overcome. So that's the nurturing part. Now they have to get in there and believe it. That's the, that's the uh, mentoring part of the Holy Spirit. That's the nature of the Holy Spirit to work that. And, and whenever God can do that, when Joshua and Caleb said, we can go in and take the land, they were never gonna go in their own power. Because when Caleb was 85 years old, he said, I'm as strong this day as I was then. He, he got the secret. He was never going in the power of his strength. He was always going into the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, whether I'm 20, 40, or 85, it doesn't matter. I'm not fighting this battle. The Holy Spirit is fighting this battle, or the Spirit of God is fighting this battle. And I think many leaders, they, they don't learn to do it with God. They try to do it for God, but they don't learn to do it with God. So I want to do it with God. I want every person that's watching this, every person that's in ministry, every person that is leading people to learn to lead with God. What are things that you could teach someone today who has a desire to do it, but what are some practical things that they can do to start allowing themselves to be led with God? I think it's a great question, Sergio, but it starts in, for me, your, your personal space with God. And that's, it's hard, it, for a lack of a better way to define it, we have, like the temple had the outer court, the inner court, and the holiest of holies. The outer court is all messy. And that's where a lot of life happens. It's a lot of family. It's a lot of relationships. There's a lot of blood and guts. So there's a lot of blood and gut relationships. The holy place is where things get cleaned up. But only a few people, you only let few people into the holy place. And then there's the most holy place. And that's only you and God. There has to be this personal relationship with God that is so so deep for you that, you, that for me, out of that place, I have to develop a world-class belief system. So for example, when I went through some of the hardest things in my life, I found comfort in a scripture out of Psalms that says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So there's a promise. I'm now taking that promise and I'm internalizing it. I'm not just quoting it in my head. I'm working it, massaging it. So you're it. taking a verse, a promise in scripture. You're spending time alone with God. And when God speaks to you through a scripture, you're taking it personally. Take it you're, personal. You're memorizing it. You're repeating it. Because that's what we do with people said bad stuff about it. We take it, memorize it. 
people said this about us, we take it and memorize it, wow. and we hide the word of betrayal in our heart, the word of a critic in our heart, more than we hide the word of God in our heart. Wow. So we let them into our holy place. Yes. And they should have been in the outer court where it's all meddy. It's like, God, it's just you and me now. God, I know I'm a mess. I know I'm, a, I, I know I'm not together. I, I know I'm not perfect. What do you say to me, God? And what he says in the holy place to the children of Israel, he says, I will be your God, you will be my people. But what they kept saying is, no, you brought us out here because you hate us. You brought us out here because you want to kill us. You brought us out here for our children to be victims. God said, no, 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 that was what the Egyptians did to you. That's not who, I, you're the apple of my eye. You're my loving children. I'll be a father to you. No, 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 you hate us. And God could not get past their belief system. And so they won the argument. God says, you're right. You are going to die in the wilderness. Not because I don't have the power to get you in but I can't get past your belief system. Okay. I can't get past your belief system. Okay. You said, you said that when we repeat the word of God, the word of God becomes, comes, gets into the holy place. The problem is we repeat more often the negative things. Oh, 100%. Okay, can you explain that more? Because I think, you said it, but I think we need to expand on that because I think that's where a lot of us are. I think a lot of times as leaders, we hear what's preached, we hear what they did to us, and we validate more what they did to us than what we just heard was preached. When it comes, when it comes to getting God's word in our heart, for me, I'm working on making it my belief system. What does that mean? That means, do I believe it? For example, it's, it's almost like a nursery rhyme. I taught this series years ago, and, but we remember nursery rhymes. God loves me, God cares about me, and God wants to help me. But that is full of theology. It's full of biblical principles. And, 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 Sometimes when people have been in serious traumas or car accidents, they'll start singing nursery rhymes from their children's because it's easy something to remember. But when I remember God's word, a promise from God, when I'm under pressure and I'm under stress and I've hit it in my heart, God loves me, God cares about me, and God wants to help me. Getting that word in our heart has the power to transform us. I taught that series and this lady came up to me, she said to me, I don't know much about God. Your message spoke to me today. Then she told me her story. I'm in this situation where I'm being abused. My husband is physically assaulting me. And, and it was a horrible story. And she looked terrible. And she's in tears telling me, but I'm going to remember that. God loves me. God cares about me. And God wants to help me. She hit, she goes, I'm going to keep saying that, keep saying that. I saw her a couple of years later. And she goes, Pastor, do you remember me? And I said, no. She's now looking healthy, well-dressed, just beautiful. And she, she quoted, God loves me. And she told me the story that she went on and how that simple phrase that she was able to hide in her heart led to her transformation to believe that God was for her. When, when her whole life was about abuse and everybody telling her how terrible she was, because when you often are abused, you're blamed for being abused. So you get a message with your pain. 
and that's not a good message. That's the power of hiding God's word in your heart, not just simply memorizing it, but do I believe it? Can I lean on it? Do I trust it? And that's when it's in the Holy of Holies of yes. life. Because oftentimes we hear the word, but we, it doesn't process through. Yeah, so it doesn't get to the Holy of Holies. And so it stays in the court of the Gentiles. Yes. We're, we're hearing all this noise, the negativity. I can't do it. I can't be it. I'll never be the leader I'm supposed to be. How can I lead here? How can I be a better leader there? How can I have a better marriage? How can I be a better person? And we begin to tell ourselves those things because we live so long in that outer court. Yes. When we, we need to do is start letting our heart take God's word, not just to the outer court, not just to the holy of holies, but to get into the holy place. I often, when I teach leadership, I'll ask people this question, who's your favorite preacher? And people often tell me who the most inspirational or, and, and, and it's good to have preachers that you like. But I say your favorite preacher, the most inspirational preacher you should ever know is yourself. Because the reality is we're the, we're the worst preacher to ourself. You are so dumb. You, what an idiot you are. And we're actually very cruel, mean preachers to ourself. David, when everything is gone, he encouraged himself in the Lord. When his team spoke of stoning him, the promises of God seemed a million miles away. He's living in a foreign land. Everything's been stolen. He's had to act like a madman at times. Everything has gone downhill. And at that lowest of the lowest of the lowest place, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I have to be my favorite preacher. I like inspirational teaching. I love when people inspire me. But sometimes that preacher's not around. Sometimes that encourager's not around. Sometimes the only person around to encourage me is myself. And most of the times we're not very good at it. In fact, most of us are mean to ourselves. And when a leader is like that, they project that to other people that they're around. Oh, yeah. So you're serving in the church. You hear the sermon, but you don't internalize it. And so now we're superficial leaders. Okay. Now we're leading from a facade. And that's all a house of cards that can collapse at any time if enough pressure gets on it because it's not, it's not from the core. Because when it's from the core, the storm can strip everything out of my life like David's. But if I've got my core set, then where Jesus said, if you hear these sayings of mine and you do them, you'll be a wise person who built his house on the rock. So a lot of stuff might get blown away, but at the end of the day, I'm still standing there on the rock. And the leaders that you've raised over the years that you've seen who have thrived, the ones that have thrived, have multiplied. Um, so you're saying they've made their personal relationship with God the most important relationship. That relationship is solid and strong. What are some other things that those leaders have done so that they stay fruitful, fruit-bearing, and thrive Good. over a course of time. One of the main things is they have to change their belief system that adversity isn't bad. Okay. Adversity's hard, 
we often say, if I prayed just right, believed just right, did it all right, I wouldn't have adversity. That is a false belief, and it's going to cause you all kind of problems. So if I believe, in other words, when someone gets it and I see them handle adversity, and, and they're still saying, I know God's going to help me. I'm going to get through this. You can hear, you can hear it in their voice because of the voice of the quitter, the voice of the camer, camper, and the voice of the climber. And there's something about the voice of a leader that just believes God is with them when all hell is breaking out. And so they think about adversity different. For example, scripture in, in 1 John that says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes even our faith. So I just believe I'm born to overcome. A leader needs to believe they are born to overcome. So the size of your problem then becomes the size of the faith that God has in you. So the, Can you say that again? The size of your problem becomes the size of the faith that God has in you. Goliath was the size of God's faith in David. You know, and, and all that Job went through was the size of faith that God had in Job. So God promises, I'll not let you go through more than you can handle. Now, many people, they don't handle it well, but God says, you had it in your DNA, your, your nature, to be able to handle that. You just never tapped into it. So, so successful leaders have a healthy view of adversity. Maybe I do something dumb, okay, but God's still with me. I'm his dumb child right today. He's not going to destroy me because I messed up. Okay, God, I was dumb, I was stupid, but you're still with me. God, I, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't the wisest, but I'm still your son. God loves me, God cares for me, and God wants to help me. So it's, it's normalizing adversity. Okay. But if I, try to make, if I try to be so spiritual, I don't have adversity. If I try to be so holy, I don't have adversity. That's going to make you sick because it's not biblical. Okay, give me another one. Another characteristic that you've seen in growing and thriving leaders, they handle adversity well. What else? Another one was, we had talked about this earlier, is we minister to the weak and we fellowship with the strong. Okay, what does that mean? If all you do is minister to the weak, and we're all weak at different points, so it's not a, it's not a condensating statement to, there are times I'm, I'm depleted, so I'm the weak and I need, I need to be encouraged. But if all I am as a caregiver, and as pastors and church leaders, we do a lot of caregiving. In fact, that's what it is. It's you care for the flock, you feed the flock. And if all I am as a caregiver, I'm going to get depleted. And I'm not, see, I'm now living out in the outer court and I'm not going back to the holy place. I'm, I'm not, and so the holy place is me and God, but the inner court is me and other people who are getting cleaned up, people who are getting ready to minister. And that fellowshipping with the strong renews me. Fellowshipping with the strong pulls out my gifts and talents. Fellowshipping with the strong brings creativity. Fellowshipping with the strong means I've got to put the chaos of ministry down so that I can take care of myself as a leader and be in right relationships that vitalize me. Okay, so I normally see there are three types of people in my life all the time. Yep. And I want to ask you if you'll give me a percentage of what should be the percentage of these people in my life. There are people that are 
behind me that I'm bringing along. There's always a group of people that I'm bringing along. And then there's people beside me that have come along. And then there's people that are beyond me that pull me along. Does that make sense? So I've noticed this, that there's always three types of people, but what should be the percentage? Does that make sense? It does. I would answer it this way. Those behind me is probably going to be your lot because those are the ones you're casting the broadest net to. So like 60%, 70%. Yes. And then, and then those beside you is going to be even a smaller number. You know, those are going to be your capacity for a few core relationships that just become the fellowship of the strong. And then ahead of you, at any given season in my life, it's usually one or two at a time. Now I've got all kinds of people that are inspirational to me, but I'm talking about mentoring me. Okay, class is in session for this area of my life right now. In other words, this is what I need to learn as a leader. So I'm finding a mentor that can help walk with me for that season to pull me towards those goals. Does that make sense? Um, I use this analogy and I'll try to be quick with this. I think of leadership in the terms of the stations on a clock. You got a clock over on the wall, you can't see it on the camera, but a clock has 12 spots on it. Okay. If I have 12 relationships that are core relationships to build leadership, the second hand comes by, the minute hand comes by, and the hour hand comes by. When the second hand comes by, it's casual. How, how are you? How's the day? It's a quick check the pulse. Can't go deep. It's in the hallway type of meeting, but sometimes, oh, they're looking good or they're looking bad. File it away. Then the minute hand comes along. There's the briefing. How, it's, a, it's a little bit more. There's information being exchanged and, and you're tracking progress. Okay, here's the plan. Here's the update. Here's the plan. Here's the update. And you're just tracking progress. When the hour hand comes along, it's intense. It's deep diving. It's vision casting. And I, I'm, I lead, I'm so intense that you don't want to spend all those. T- I can dump so much vision on you that you need me to go away. So that, so if you're, if you're at the one o'clock, then it's like, I can dump so much vision on you. Then I go to two and I'm, and, but I'll eventually come back around. How are we doing with that vision? And before I get back to really doing deep diving leadership, the second hand will come by. I'll be watching the minute hand will come by. You'll be briefing but then we'll eventually come back around to where deep diving and managing the vision. I don't know if that comes across real clear, but it's, it's how I view relationships. So sometimes it's very quick. Sometimes it's just an update status. And then there's the deep diving. I trust you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. Pastor Dave Minton is such a great voice. I hope you were inspired. I want to encourage you to leave a comment today. Share this podcast with a friend and know this that you are important. You're important to God and you're important to us. I genuinely believe that the road of restoration leads to the road of leadership. And today, I'd like to take this opportunity to pray with you as you continue to make decisions that'll impact the lives of others. Heavenly Father, thank you today for the privilege to be able to inspire and influence the heart of leaders. Thank you for Pastor Dave Minton's leadership. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us in our conversation and inspiring the people that are listening today. 
I give you the glory and honor and praise for what's yet to come in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Share it with a friend. God bless you.